You're now recording. Okay, W, you ready? Yep. All right, here we go. Welcome back to the Appease Pod, the pod that aims towards appeasement. For this week's episode, we were taking things into a different route. For today, we will be taking a step back to history, but not regular history, dumb history. You're joined with our co-host, W. Padrone. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Let's jump right into the episode. Before we get into the pod, I'd just like to inform our audience that uh, due to some technical issues, we were not able to record this pod live face-to-face. Hope you enjoy. Starting off uh, to the pastry war. W, take it away. So there's been a lot of dumb history that we have witnessed, although usually these are overshadowed by the more um, known wars, such as like World War One, World War Two, the Cold War, uh, the various conflicts of the 19th, 18th century, 17th century, 100 years war, 30 years war, 15 years war. There's been many types of wars that have been remembered throughout history, or even though that these have overshadowed some of this dumb history that we're going to be going into today. So today I'm actually going to start off with one of the most random and weird wars I have ever, ever, ever witnessed in my life. Disclaimer, he has not participated in any of these wars. So this is the Pastry War. You heard it right, the Pastry War. From 1838 to 1839, there was a minor conflict between Mexico and France. The conflict began because a French pastry cook that was living in the region of Tacubaya in Mexico City made a claim against the French government that the Mexican government had damaged his restaurant and that they were not accepting to give repairs to the gentleman. As a consequence, the French pastry man, he went to the French embassy and he made a a claim of 600,000 pesos. So he was asking for 600,000 pesos, which was the currency of Mexico at the time. And he asked the French government to have the Mexican government pay him for that. And as a consequence, the Mexican government disagreed with doing so and in in exchange the french government decided to to send a full-on fleet to the veracruz region and start an invasion of mexico how crazy is that and the and what's funny about this whole issue is that the french actually won the French made it so that the French pastry owner got his business back and a whole compensation that was worth seven times the amount of his business. And the man simply got it. This man got it and at the same time, France getting a lot of influence inside of the Mexican trade. So that is that is just mind blowing to me that this was a thing. It actually even led to creating more towards the image of of Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana, which was one of the many political and military dictators of Mexico in its history, who will later be remembered for his actions in the Alamo after suppressing the Texican rebellion. So that will be it for the pastry war, which is just a crazy, crazy war. And it is probably one of the most ridiculous and dumb moments I, I, I've seen in, in like recent history. Because it is just nonsense, if you will. We're going to follow up on other dumb history that we will also be sharing. Let me enlighten you with what I believe to be one of the greatest military conflicts of all time. 
A war so gruesome, it would change the way the world viewed Australia as a country. A war that would change the way the world looked at birds, the flightless birds in general. If you haven't caught on to what war I'm referring to, well, you're in for a treat. This war, the Great Emu War of 1932. Emus, flightless birds, typically you would associate an emu with, oh, I don't know, a dumb bird that, well, came and fly and ducks its head in the sand when it's scared. If I were to tell you that these flightless birds went up against the wrath of an entire nation with modern machinery and modern weapons for the time and uh, managed to win against all odds, this is the Great Emu War of 1932. The start of a mighty conquest. It all began in 1929 during the Australian Great Depression following the end of World War I. The Australian government gave land to ex-Australian soldiers and British veterans who then became farmers. In 1929, these farmers were encouraged to increase their wheat crops with the government promising assistance in the form of subsidies or more money, which they, the Australian government, failed to deliver. Tensions of war. In the month of October 1932, matters were becoming intense with government failing to deliver these subsidies during preparation to harvest the season's crops Farmers threatened to refuse to deliver the wheat. Things became dangerous with the arrival of a sizable force, 20,000 emus sent by the, an emu mob. If you weren't aware, emus in a group are called mob. Foreseeing a threat to national economic sustainability, the Australian military was called into action. After the arrival of these 20,000 emus, a so-called arms race, if you will, was uh, declared. It wasn't any ordinary arms race. I think it would actually, I think this arms race was a little more intensified than the arms race we saw. The Australian military force, under pressure from angry farmers and invading flocks of emu mobs, the Australian government sent in the military to defend the farmer lands and to eradicate the emu forces. To deal with the imposing emu force, the military sent Major G.P.W. Meredith of the 7th Heavy Battery of the Royal Australian Artillery, along with two commanding soldiers, Sergeant S. McMurray, Gunner J.O. Halara, armed with two Lewis guns and 10,000 rounds of ammunition. These men had the extensive task of protecting their homeland from the oppression of this new threat. They would be backed by their nation, whom in hopes of turning the tide of war, equipped them with one jeep. That is right. After a reconnaissance mission, uh, stumbled upon a pasture, the emu mob sent thousands of infantry units to overrun, gain, and retrieve hundreds of acres of wheat and grain, in hopes of further expansion of population and territory for this mob. Who would win? An entire nation with machine guns and modern equipment or 20,000 flightless birds looking for food? The fate of these two foes clashing shall be determined later on in the pod. Stay tuned. Uh, the 5th of July, 1953, if we had a military division with a bullet carrying capacity of these birds, it would face any army in the world. It would face machine guns and vulnerability of tanks. They are like Zulus whom even dumb dumb bullets could not stop. The first engagement. Battle at Campion.
After being delayed due to rain, the campaign to weaken the emu mob was finally engaged on the 2nd of November. The battle began when Major G.P.D. Meredith spotted a platoon of 50 emus embarking a raid on a field in the district of Campion. Meredith ordered his soldiers to fire when ready. When the gunners began to fire upon the emus, they soon discovered that the war could not be won so easily. The emus, quickly aware of the threat, expeditiously dispatched three soldiers to split into small groups to diverge enemy fire from the main flock. Without any complications, the emus swiftly outran the volleys with suppressing fire, with minimum casualties of only one to two birds. That is right, they were not sure of how many birds they killed that day, so they uh, estimated that they only killed about one to two birds. The first battle of many to come was a victory for the flightless birds. The first blood in the bizarre emu war had thus been drawn by the Australian army. As they said in Fallout, war never changes. Two days later, after Meredith moved his forces south, concealed gunners sighted a battalion, 1,000 of the mob's finest emus nearby, and waited patiently for this force to be in the range of their ambush. At point-blank range, says Johnson, the soldiers opened fire, but then the machine gun jammed. The emus scattered once again, and there's only a confirmed killing of about 10 to 12 emus. New methods. The army tried gunning them down and moving trucks, but found they couldn't aim properly at their speedy foes. A lone victim of the Australian bullets rendered himself a nuisance all the way to the end, as his corpse got tangled up in the Australian steering equipment, which caused it to veer off and destroy half the length of somebody's fence. After many valiant attempts by the Australian military, it was decided that they would retreat on November 1932, as the new method of uh, putting bounties on emus proved the most effective. According to the Australian public, it appeared that the emus were victorious, and it was decided that the emus had won the Great Emu War of 1932. Although the sources vary, out of the 20,000 emus that were estimated, about 1,000 of them have perished in the great conflicts of the Great Emu War. Uh, although there were no human casualties, it appears that about 10,000 rounds of ammunition were used. Bullet to kill ratio of 10 to 1, meaning that 10 bullets were used for every one emu that died. The Australian public viewed this as a complete loss for the Australians, and that the emus appeared to be victorious for the outlast of the humans. According to the commander of the attack force, Major Meredith, he went on to test the birds take several bullets without batting an eye. So it could be seen that these emus were quite the force and that uh, overall they were quite the walking tank of a bird. Before we go on to our next dumb wars of history, let us reflect on some uh, quick emu facts. The emu is the second largest living bird by height after its retite relative to the ostrich. It is endemic to Australia where it is the largest native bird and the only extinct member of the genius Dromoeus. To find more information, contact us at the Peace Pod on Instagram, Discord, or YouTube. The choice is yours. W, it's all yours. So we're going to be talking about the football war. To our listeners from the United States, around the world, football is what you will call soccer. So this was related to the Soccer World Cup that was happening in Mexico in 1970. Although this conflict is in 1969, 
these were the classification stages moving towards the World Cup in 1970. So, the football war, also called the Hundred Hour War, was a full-on military conflict between Honduras and El Salvador from 14th of July of 1969 to the 18th of July, 1969. So how did this whole conflict came in just four days? And was it really about soccer? Well, we'll, we'll look into that. So throughout the 1900s, El Salvador's peasants were moving heavily towards Honduras to begin to get uh, more easy access towards crops that they could further work. Although it came a very difficult situation for both countries, especially because the Honduran government began removing many of the peasants and they, and they started reinstating their territories with Honduran nationals. Just that created tensions between both of the countries and with both of the people, since many felt as if they were a threat to each other. So leading up to this whole uh, tension between the two countries comes the World Cup. The two countries have to fight each other in the classification stages to the World Cup. So what happens during the game? El Salvador wins the first game and they win 1-0 against Honduras. Consequence, hooliganism, complete fight breakouts. People are beating each other to death in the stages of the of the of the games. Complete outer chaos. And this is just happening in the classification stages to a World Cup. One of the many issues that were met is that as a consequence of the whole chaos that was happening, an 18-year-old girl took a gun and shot herself in the middle of the stage for the match. And as a consequence, El Salvador's president made her a martyr and she and he had her uh, televised throughout the whole country and had her funeral also filmed for the whole country to watch. It became a full-on war on the 14th of July after El Salvador won 3-0 to Honduras in the classification stages for the World Cup. They won 3-0 against them and they began a full-on scale invasion of Honduras. The Honduran border police started firing at them but they were quickly surrounded and they were, and they were um, put down by the Salvadorian army. In fact, the, the, the war met such a scale that the Salvadorian army invaded with a large mobilization of vehicles such as F4U Corsairs, M6 light tanks, um, C-47 uh, transport planes that were remodeled into becoming bomber planes. And it was actually pretty interesting because this is also the last conflict where uh, planes from World War II were used in a large scale for an invasion. And as a consequence, we had this whole conflict for four days, a hundred hours, and it was only stopped because of the, inter the diplomatic intervention of the organization of the American states, also called OEA in Spanish. And they, and they put an end to the hostilities on the, on the 18th of that same month. What just is crazy dumb about this is a hundred Honduran soldiers were killed in a hundred hour war. 2,000 wounded, and the Salvadorians, they made a victory. A smaller country beat it a bigger country, and to this day, Salvadorians hold this with great pride. Now tell me about a dumb history moment. Well, here you go, the football war.